Welcome to this conversation. My guest today is David Alford. And what he is proving to us today is that, drumroll, there are filmmakers amongst us. We all know about Barter Theater and the actors, and we may know David from there, but we're talking to him today about his role as a filmmaker. The production company is called Cross Purposes Productions. Welcome, David Alford, to this conversation. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, first of all, the term cross-purposes production is kind of a double entendre. Do you want to tell us about the meaning of it? It sounds like we're going to be at cross-purposes and have disagreements. We are. And it came from my very first short film that I ever tried to write. And in that film, I had two characters. I had a a young medical student who was very uh, eager to pursue his career, really focused on everything about the future. And I had him paired with a young man with cancer who had no future. Those two characters were at cross purposes. They wouldn't. So I put them in a room together and put them in a situation together to see how those two characters would blend. And that's where the title for the film came from. And since it was my first short film, I named the company after it as well. Well, so that first short film must have been a success. It was. It was a surprise to me. I actually wrote it as a play for the Barter Theater has a playwriting competition every year. And I thought I would try my hand at writing a play. And as I was writing to the screenplay, or the play itself, I, I realized it would make a better screenplay than it would a stage play. And so that's when I decided, well, I've never made a movie before, but maybe this is a possibility. So I went ahead and got some friends together here locally and shot the film over the course of a weekend, a long weekend in 2019. And uh, the film was picked up by a production company, a distribution company, and it's since been shown globally. The name of the play that became the name of your company. And you go, oh, gee, I think this play looks like it ought to be a movie, and so I'll make a movie. I mean, that's quite a quite a lofty vision and goal is. And, and, and I had had some friends who had made some short films here locally in the Abingdon area. And so I went to them and I said, guys, I, I kind of like this script. I think it might be strong. Is there a way to make this into a short film? And I said, well, I know a cinematographer. Well, I know someone who can do sound. And I know someone who has a camera. And it basically just became this pool of local talent of people who'd kind of been dabbling in film for a couple of years. I just pulled a team together and we we shot the film and it just turned out to be really great. I mean, so that was Cross Purposes, your first short film. The reason that sparked me to talk to you today is because I heard that you have your third film and that this is a feature film. It is called Searching for the Elephant and you are putting the finishing touches on it right now. That's right. Yeah. The, the, the first film was a short and I've, this will be our third feature film. So it's our fourth film in total in five years. And it has been um, a really an interesting growth curve because we've learned each time we've made a film, we've learned what not to do a few more times. But this last one we shot in July around the Saltville, Chilhowee area. Uh, it is a neo-Western. So it has Western style cinematography. It's not truly a Western. It's a modern story. Uh, but it's shot in the Western style. And so you'll see uh, from the hip shots, we're almost like a standoff of two cowboys when two characters are conflicting each other. That's what gives it that neo-Western flavor. So we needed a ranch to shoot it on. And so uh, we found one uh, in the in the space between Chilhowee and Saltville with about 800 acres. We were able to rent that ranch for a month and, uh, and shoot there. And so the film itself has that quality too, which I'm You'll have to explain to us what the term feature film even means. You said a short and it was distributed. And now you're <laughs> saying feature film. And these are terms that 
a lot of us lay people just don't know. Well, a feature film is what you'd go to in the movie theater to see. It's about an hour and a half to two hours long. It's a full-scale production, start to finish. It's usually a full story with a good uh, five or six main characters in it. A short film, it can be anything from two minutes, 30 seconds, to 15 minutes or so. Short films are often made by starting up uh, filmmakers, and they're put into film festivals. And they're almost like resumes. They're like, see what we can do kind of films. And they're put in these film festivals and competitions where they compete against each other. Whereas feature films, you try to go straight into distribution, you try to get them into theaters or get them onto streaming services uh, where they get picked up. Um, filming Feature films do get picked up by distribution companies. Um, short films often don't. They're often just kind of showcase pieces. So this is our third feature film as a, as a company. That's interesting that you, when you start, that you do shorts and that serves as a resume. And it then does. you build until you have more confidence and other people are going to have confidence in you. But I get the idea that feature films have a lot of different categories as well. I mean, if you say I'm doing a feature film, I mean, that would say to me, well, OK, I can I'll be able to go to the cinema and see it. I mean, that may be the case or that may not be the case. Explain that process to us. That process is a hard mountain to climb because feature films are often done by large studios, what you often go see at the cinema or where you go see what else are these $100 million productions put out by film companies. Uh, and, and so independent filmmakers like myself, we often have to come up with the money to make our films on our own, which is again why people often start with short films because they're less expensive to make. And the bottom line is if you don't have money. A feature film can be quite expensive. It can get uh, up into the six digits really quickly, not more. And so for a feature filmmaker who's an independent filmmaker like myself, who doesn't work through the studio system, the money raising is a big, big part of it. Um, for us, we've had to be super creative because we're just getting started in the, in the monetary side of it, just starting to make a little money as a company. So we had to be really careful with our budgets on feature films. So our budgets are significantly smaller than most films you'd see at the cinema. Um, but, uh, you know, things are getting better each time we're getting a little growing a little larger, the budget's getting a little heavier, and we're starting to get a little bit more quality under our belt. All right. So where are these things shown? Again, you know, I think feature film, I go to the movie, I see it there. I guess I think big studios. So when you're not a big studio and it doesn't show up as a major production in the weekly releases of films, where does it go? Where's the market? That is the magic of streaming on the internet. And it's also the magic of COVID as well. When we first produced our first feature-length film, uh, it was a very low-budget film, but there's something called a distribution company, and they picked it up, which means they will take the film and they'll distribute it to everywhere they can possibly get the film distributed. Any place they can, any streaming services, uh, any uh, networks, TV networks, that kind of thing, they can get the film on. They, they've got connections, and they will plug it into every one of them. So our first feature film ended up going international. It's been shown literally around the globe through uh, cable networks, TV networks, streaming platforms, you name it. Uh, it never saw, well, it, it saw a few weeks in a theater here locally that we put together, but otherwise it's been shown on the internet and on TV and satellite networks nonstop for three and a half years now. So are these films that were your previous feature films, are they somewhere where people can search them and find them and watch them now? Oh, absolutely. Um, our first two are on Amazon Prime. You can you can find them there. Uh, you can find them on Tubi, which is a really popular uh, streaming website. Um, Pure Flix is, is a faith-based website that it's a paid subscription service. They carry all three films, even the short one. You can just Google each of these films that we have, and they will go to the Cross Purposes Productions, 
look at our film titles, Google the film titles, and you can find them on streaming services. It's crosspurposes.productions.com. Okay, so go to crosspurposes.productions.com. But let's just take a little shortcut here, filmmaker David Alford, and maybe go ahead and say the names of those previous feature films so people can go look for them as soon as they finish hearing this interview. Okay, we can do that. So the first film, the short, it's about 40 minutes long, is called Cross Purposes. Uh, The the first feature film, which is about two hours long, is called Found. Uh, And it's got a period at the end that gets you there a little faster, but found will get you there by itself. The second feature film is called Royal Ashes, and it's a family drama. And then the newest one, of course, is called Searching for the Elephant. It is not finished. It'll be finished in about two weeks. All right. So we're going to talk about Searching for the Elephant since that's the one that's coming. Well, first of all, let's talk about the process because you are two weeks from being finished. How do you know you're two weeks from being finished? What? Because, you know, things always go wrong. What is it that you have to accomplish in the next alleged two weeks? Well, the film itself has been shot. It's been edited. It's been put together. Audio is, is nearly done and coloring is nearly done. There really isn't anything else left to do except create a trailer and some advertising. So the film itself has been is nearly wrapped. Uh, as far as the process of post-production, uh, you take raw footage that you go out on location, you shoot all this raw footage for several weeks, you bring it back and you edit it together, you slice it how you want the scene to look, how you, how you want each scene to come across, how you want to build intensity each time around. Once you get that all laid out, then you have to clean it all up. You clean up all the airplanes that flew over your set while you were trying to record, <laughs> all the cars that drove by, you cut out all the bad sounds you don't want, you cut out all the lighting that you don't like, you redesign it, you remaster it. Once it's all locked in and looking good and sounding good, then you're ready to start showing it. That's where we're at right now. All right. And you're quite confident that it's going to be ready. Now, do you have a distribution company lined up? We are going with a new distribution route this time. And we're actually talking about possibly even selling the film outright this time. So that's a new step for us. All of our previous films have been carried by Bridgestone Media Group. And they've, they've offered to take this one, but we really want to go a different way. And so we think we're going to try a whole new distribution route this time. So we will start offering it to uh, some bidders uh, right after January. We're going to talk money, but first of all, I'm just going to remind listeners that I'm talking to David Alford. He is a filmmaker who lives nearby here somewhere. We haven't given the street address, but I know that he works at Barter Theater, and I know he's been making films here for several years. And his film, Searching for the Elephant, is in post-production, ready to be released to a distribution company that may, as he said, pay for it outright. So the the previous films, the money comes in in dribs and drabs, depending on where it gets. Explain that process. When you when you sign your film over to a distribution company, they take full control of the film. You lose control of it. You own it, but they distribute it. So every dollar they make, they keep half of it and they give you half. And they do all the work themselves. All of our first three films are, are licensed to a distribution company. So they'll go say they'll take it to uh, Roku and they'll go, hey, Roku, here's a film. Do you want it? And Roku says, yeah, we'll take it. Roku then shows it on the Internet. You watch it. There's commercials built into it. Every commercial that passes through your screen on that film, Roku takes half of it. Our distribution taking company takes half of it. And then our distribution company gives us half of that. <laughs> so everyone takes their piece of the pie and you get a little sliver of the pie from all the streaming services that's on throughout the week. 
So that's how, that's how the money trickles back to us. And that's how we use that money. This time you're saying that some distribution company may be looking at paying for it outright. So they give you, I would assume, a very significant lump sum, and then they keep everything of what they do. Is that how that works? That's the gamble of filmmaking, too, because if you do that, if you say, I'm going to just sell my film outright, you may get two, 300, 400 percent profit on how much you spent making the film. Then that company owns it and they can do whatever they want to. it. If they go out there and find a studio who will put it in the theaters and make $10 million, that $10 million is their $10 million and not yours. So when you sell your film outright, it is cash in hand and it's cash automatically, but it's the film is gone after that. If you decide to keep it and try to distribute it yourself, then it may take longer for you to get your money back if you ever do, which is film is always a big if. But if you do, you'll continue to own that film for as long as that film is out there. All of our first films belong to our company. So we will continue to receive and collect residuals as long as those films are being broadcast. So it's a lifelong investment, but it's small. And it's just- I was really curious about that, David. I mean, you're you're talking about the expense that's involved and the long-term process sometimes of even making back what you've spent. And I've noticed that some of your actors are well-known professionals in the area, and I'm sure they ain't working for free. No, and <laughs> so somewhere, if you're going to start a company, you got to have a big old chunk of money to get started with and to float on yeah. until you start making big profits. And that's the magic of it, though. That's the magic of filmmaking in 2023. So you can make a movie. Our first feature film was made with $9,000. We had a $10,000 pot of money, and we shot cross-purposes on $9,000. And that film has now generated three times that amount. And, and so and that, that's a short film. Our second feature film we did on $40,000 and it's generated twice that amount. So it's each film, if they're successful, which is not a guarantee in filmmaking, they will then funnel money back into your company on an ongoing basis. But it's got to be out there and it has to be successful. And to be honest with you, the vast majority, we're talking 90% of independent films will never make a dime. They'll be underwater forever. A good 10% lucky enough to get their money back in independent filmmaking. That is a hard, hard business if you're counting on it for money. So you have to really make sure that if you're going to go into this business, you can only spend what you can afford to lose because chances are you're not going to get back. You can spend what only what you can afford to lose. You're yep. working at Barter. I know Barter is a union operation. We're really privileged to have an equity theater here, but I don't know that that's enough money to live well and <laughs> to to start a big company like this. I'm still thinking, did you win a lottery sometime in the past to get <laughs> I just, started on this? No, I, this company's never been my way of feeding family and, and paying the mortgage. It's not yet. It may grow into that one day. And and all, all it takes is one film breaking out. Searching for the Elephant could be a breakout film. It's, it's high enough quality it could take off, in which case the company will start supporting itself. But no, at the beginning, you definitely don't count on this as a way of feeding your family you gotta have a you gotta have other jobs uh it's not it's not the way you start you start you start humble you start meager and you work your way up that's how okay we're getting back to the film i'm going to divert just a little bit because somewhere on a website related to your company i saw a reference to your family and that you have children so where do you live and what is your family life like uh, my wife and I live here in Abingdon, Virginia. We moved here about 15 years ago. She's in medicine. And so she had started a practice here in Abingdon. That brought us here with our three small children who are now adult children. I have two married daughters and a 15-year-old son and now three grandchildren. 
And so Abingdon has been our home for about 15 years. And we're, and so our family life is a little busy. My wife's practice is very full. I also homeschool our kids. So I have, have, have balance between work and home life is uh, is pretty, pretty much a, an ongoing juggle. But oh my gosh, wait, excuse me, time out. You yeah. homeschool your son or your wait, 15? I homeschool all of our kids and our son's the only one left. So he's 15, but he works with me on films too. So what the great part is, is we shot in July. He was right there working on set with me. And I consider that part of school too. He was All right. Like, now, what do your adult kids say, Dad? <laughs> what oh, do they, they love it. They're in it. My my youngest daughter was my assistant director on set. She keeps the whole crew, the, all the actors, all the crew organized and scheduled. My oldest daughter is the artistic designer. She's a production designer, which means she designed the costumes and she also decorates the sets. And she does that before the movie ever starts. So she, because she's got kids, so she does that, sets it all up, and then steps away and the rest of us jump in there. It sounds so like it's a family project. It really is. I was going to say it's more than just a family business; it's a family endeavor and activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, we we have great fun working together. That's for sure. All right, I'm still. I still want to go back to this beginning and this vision that you had because I watched some of the clips. I know a little bit about video, and. Uh, it's high quality production. You weren't trained in this. You said, oh, I have this idea. Let me get some people together. I know some people who can shoot videos. So you've evidently had a big learning curve and have probably become expert in things you never thought you'd know anything about. Uh, it's been a it's been a work in progress. It's like going to film school, only all your assignments are shown to the world. So all your mistakes are thrown out there. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone to see. And it's uh, it's been a learning curve. But also, I've also received a lot of training as a storyteller. Having worked at the Barter for 10 years, you learn how to tell stories. And you also get a chance to spend time with audiences. And that is invaluable as a filmmaker. Most filmmakers don't get this. Sitting in a theater, talking to an audience, hearing them laugh at your lines, hearing them cry when things get emotional, and doing that for decades, you really get a feel for what touches people and what doesn't. So when you're talking through a camera to an audience, I've been very blessed in that having all that experience with live audiences helps me to know what's going to touch an audience through a camera lens. And so I think because of that, and because we really work on having storyteller hearts at the Barter, it's really helped to find stories that have impact and reach people and touch people, and then being able to put them on screen in a way that you hope will actually reach out and touch people. And I think that has been my schooling before I ever set foot behind a camera. And I think that's made all the difference in the world of us. So in dialogue, for example, you're going to have a sense, an understanding of how that dialogue is going to play because of your experience on stage. And working with actors, you get a sense of the rhythm of dialogue and how actors talk naturally to one another. And so I think in the editing process, you have total control over that. You know, on stage, you're live. You're talking back and forth as a conversation. In film, you're taping the lines separately and you're splicing them together in a rhythm that I think as an actor first being a director helps you to be an, a director for your actors and helps you get performances that you want to get out of them. I think that's really been a big key to being successful so far because our films have all made money, which is something that almost never happens. Uh, let's talk about some of the roles that you've done at Barter uh, for which people might recognize you. Oh, okay. Well, I, I've, I've been <laughs> 10 years in, you know, working at the Barter, you do a lot of, you know, a lot of plays. Um, the last play I did was right before COVID hit and it was White Christmas. 
And, um, and gosh, I can't remember character names anymore. I just remember the shows. White Christmas there. I was involved in Beauty and the Beast, uh, Driving Miss Daisy, um, Ladies Rob Love, Wizard of Oz, uh, Tale of Two Cities. So you're an actor. Are you a singer as well? Those are musicals uh, you're talking I, about. I've been in musicals. Yeah, I've been singing in musicals since I was a little kid. What a life you live. I mean, you must have to have, a, I don't know, an hourly alarm for what you're supposed to be doing next. David Alford. Let's talk about, uh, you know, when I uh, was introducing you and I said your company is called Cross Purposes Production, I said double entendre, but we didn't get back to the double entendre. One is actually people at Cross Purposes, but the other is Cross Purposes. Yeah, it is a faith-based and family film company. So we make productions that are uh, affirming they come from a worldview of Christianity because that's where I come from. So that's how I write. Um, it's also faith-based in that it's grounded on people and, and, and how people interact with faith. And I think that's more important than becoming, uh, how, for lack of a better word, preachy with stories. I'm, I'm not really, I don't try to do that. I try to just tell stories about the human spirit from a Christian world perspective because that's what I have. And so that's that. And then family films as well, films that are friendly for the family and fun for. Well, when you say faith-based, I tell you, it sounded like it was a leap of faith when you got started on this. <laughs> yes. and, and maybe you're still riding on some of that uh, as this <laughs> last film gets launched and maybe becomes the big feature film you've been looking for. Well, and what's fun about this is if you do come to the barter, I, I tapped into so many barter friends for this last film. It was so much fun. There's probably about 10 people you see regularly at the barter who are in this new movie. And I haven't really tapped into them much before. One, they're super hard to get because their schedules are so incredibly hard at the barter. But in this case, I had enough cameo roles so I could bring them in. So you'll see a lot of friends from the barter uh, in this movie, which is a lot of fun for me, getting to work with them, having worked with them on stage now, working with them at the camera. It's been a lot of fun. And I think people who are fans of the barter will enjoy this. Yeah, well, Rick McVeigh is one of those. I've interviewed him on this show. And Eugene Wolf is a beloved figure in the area. Yes. And he has his own radio show here on WEHC. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if, when you decide to branch out into radio, just let us know. <laughs> well, actually, I did radio in college for about 10 years. Radio well, of old. course you did. Oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> yeah, I believe you do need a radio show. We, we can uh, <laughs> look into that. Let's talk a little bit about the plot for this film that is just on the cusp of being released to the world called Searching for the Elephant. What is the plot? What is it all about? People always ask me about the title. It has nothing to do with circuses or animals. Searching for the Elephant is an expression that comes from the ranching. And what it is, is when a rancher hires ranch hands, at the point, some point in the year when he hires ranch hands, he'll hire somebody, he'll look at that guy and go, that guy is going to take off when he gets the first best offer that comes along. That guy's not here to stay. He's just searching for the elephant, which means he's looking for that better job, always looking for that perfect situation and move on every chance he gets. And so that concept of the title of Searching the Elephant is what uh, really got me interested in the story. That and this weird idea I had about medieval castles. I was looking and doing some study about medieval castles and how they are defended. And I was fascinated by the different mechanisms and ideas of which people would use to defend their castles. And I thought to myself, that is really on an emotional level, what a lot of us as people do to protect ourselves. Some of those same devices. And then so I thought, well, how interesting would it be if I put two characters together who are just built massive walls around themselves and built themselves and pushed themselves away from everybody in their lives. And they were forced to live together in a small location. So I picked a grandfather and an estranged grandson who had never met. And they are forced to live on a ranch together because the son, the grandson's been in trouble with the law. 
and must serve his, for lack of a better word, a house arrest there on his grandfather's ranch. So the two men pushed everyone out of their lives to find a way to break through each other's walls. So you said the techniques in castles. I mean, the only one I think of is walls and then moats and then big gates that come down and skewer people or something. So were there analogies to other kinds of techniques? Well, like if you're if you're if you have all your military, you never put all your military on the wall because if someone gets inside your wall, you have to have a second military band to to protect yourself inside. I thought, well, that's kind of what we do. We hold back a little bit of ourselves in case someone gets past our protection, our self-protection. We have to have an ability to attack them with something. I thought that is kind of what we do. We play games with ourselves as far as how we uh, how we keep ourselves at a distance. And so, in this story, I have a grandfather who's a Vietnam veteran who is very much self-protective. He's got secrets from the past and he keeps everyone away. Well, this grandson gets past his wall because he has to live on his ranch. And this grandson disarms him. So he has mechanisms in his life that he uses to push that grandson back and to keep him away from him when he gets too close to him. And so it really is a dynamic study of these two men and the hurts that they have and how they have to both deal with their own hurts and each other's hurts at the same time. It's very dramatic, but it's a very, it's a very powerful film. I think in the end, I think people will be affirmed that it's okay to let someone in your life. Who plays the role of the grandfather? Rick McVeigh. I, I thought I, I got a little confused when I was looking at the website, whether it was Rick McVeigh. Well, what does Eugene Wolf do? Eugene Wolf is uh, one of uh, the grandfather's uh, poker buddies who comes to the ranch every once in a while and plays poker with him. And he gets kind of tangled up in some of their the, the son, grandson, grandfather struggles. Now, and there's got to be a woman or two in there somewhere. There is. There's a young lady who's a who's a veterinarian who comes by and takes care of the ranch animals. There's a little romantic story between the grandson and the veterinarian doc. Then there's a mom, uh, the son's mom and son-in-law and the grandfather. She's she's caught up. This is the first time we've used all professional actors. We've always had to kind of tap into the local talent and family and friends. But searching for the elements the first time we've used all professional actors. And that's really, really improved the quality of our quality of film. Well, you would like to think so, wouldn't you, that the professionals really are a little better than the amateurs that you had dragged in from the street. I've gotten some great performances out of my local actors, but I'm really excited to use them. Well, we do need to talk about Joseph Stam because he was integral to the production of this film. Tell us about him. Uh, I found Joseph Stam when he was 16. He played the title role in that very first short film I was telling you about. And I actually have known his family for years. I've known him since he was a little boy, but that was the first time I've ever worked with him as an actor. He was so good. And then he got involved with writing the films. And so he contributed a little bit to Found, and he was the lead actor in Found and blew that film out of the water. This last film, Searching for the Elephant, he plays the grandson. He's 20 years old now, so he's grown up. And he plays the grandson who has a drug addiction problem, and he brings such warmth and humanity and suffering to that role that it's just power. Um, and he also co-wrote and co-directed the movie this first time he's done all that. So he's grown up and that, that kid's ready to do movies on his own now. I'm lucky to have him as a, as a partner. He's ready to take on the world. I think he's going to get a lot of attention with this film. All right. Wonderful. My guest today, David Alford of Cross Purposes Productions with his newest film, feature film, ready for release called Searching for the Elephant. Stay tuned for more information about that around the world and go to Cross Purposes Productions to find out more about what David Alford is involved in. Thank you so much for being with me, David Alford. What a pleasure. I appreciate you. Thanks again to David Alford and thanks again, above all, to our listeners if you heard part of this, want to go back and hear the whole thing, you can go to your best podcast site and all you have to do is say 
WEHC This Conversation. You can even say, Alexa, play WEHC This Conversation, and lo and behold, the most recent episode will pop up. So thanks again to the listeners. This is This Conversation. You can hear it here on WEHC, Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2, and find it on the podcast site, as we said. More information at WEHCFM.com. Thanks again. See you next time.